0: Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. Well, who is this we? Well, we are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me. Physics Phenom, Dr. Michael Denon.
1: It's awesome to be here, Dan. I am so excited about this. This falls into that category of wow, I got to watch a new really great TV show I never would have heard of if I wasn't a member of the Brain Trust. I am so excited. So much cool stuff in this. And what I like about it, it's lighthearted, it's humor, it's not dark and um, depressing,
0: but it deals with a very serious topic. Well, I would say that in some ways this uses humor to deal with those dark and depressing topics, Um, but it isn't inherently dark and depressing on the surface. But if we dig deep, we will find something sinister. And the same can be said for our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from
2: this week? Well, this week, Dan, I am touring Horizon's beautiful Lakeview property. Uh, You know, they say this is the place where you get to live forever, and it sure seems like a great place to live forever in. I think that's exactly right. I mean, I would say
0: that this is, you know, I'm with you, Denon. I think this show is very inventive, very creative. And what show am I talking about? We're talking about Upload, which is a television series about a man whose consciousness, well, he, he dies before his time, and his consciousness is digitized and uploaded to a digital afterlife called Lakeview, uh where ben is touring uh, i don't know what that means ben i'd like you to be with us for a little while longer so just tour it for the future uh don't get too attached to that place because we need <laughs> you here at the brain trust uh i do want you jumping into that it's a pretty cool uh utopia over there so i can see where you'd fall right in uh so let's you know I- i'm curious what you guys thought about this show Dennon, and you mentioned that you love it um ben what did you think about when you first watched the show
2: well I thought it was really fascinating. The the you know it's it's a great take on the idea of the singularity. You know, we hear about this uh, Dr. Ray Kurzweil. He's always talking about how we're going to upload our brains to the to the internet, to the cloud to and live, you know, perpetually in machines. And I I like this idea of rather than it being some weird thing where you live in a computer and I don't know what you do, you get to retire. You get to live in these beautiful properties as long as you got the money, of course. But <laughs> right, uh <laughs> But Gotta you get to live the in money. these, these uh, beautiful properties and live out a wonderful retirement in kind of any environment you want. You know, we don't think about this, but, you know, if your consciousness is in the cloud, you, it can be anywhere. And I like this this future in that sense.
1: You know what I also like about it, Dan? I'm going to interrupt mm. you there. I know you are going to say something. No, but go ahead. I, what, what I like – this is going to sound weird, and I'm probably going to get a lot of hate mail for this. I like what I'm going to call the lightweight dystopia of this. You know, we had our 100th episode <laughs> where we talked about the future and how it's going to fall apart. There is yeah. income inequality. There are some bad things going on, but I – It's interesting that the income inequality, for instance, is whether you eat real food or printed food. And the printed food actually seems pretty good. Whereas a lot of dystopias, it's whether you eat or you don't eat, right? So there's an interesting um, twist on the dystopia. You know, don't get me wrong. Income inequality is still bad in this world, but it's kind of a lightweight dystopia, Dan.
0: I think that that's that's entirely fair. And, you know, I'm curious – yeah, it's no surprise that you're probably a little bit closer to retirement age than we are, um, and you're inching closer to death than I am for sure. Uh, do you see yourself? Do you see yourself uploading to um, a place like Lakeview? Should we have the opportunity to digitize your brain? Now, obviously, it will take several more terabytes than than you know someone like uh, my brain, for example. But should we have the capabilities of uploading Denon's brain? Where do you want to go?
1: You know that's an interesting question, Dan. There's a well. First of all, I just want to point out: make sure you don't get in an AI car that's been hijacked, because then you may be closer to death than I am. <laughs> um, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> just just saying that. You know, not
0: related to anything we're discussing. Sure. Um, I feel but, like that that wasn't pointed because of my comment there. You're not. You know, this is that's not a veiled threat against the brain trust, is it? No, it is
1: not. Because of course, okay. without the brain trust, where's the podcast going? <laughs> right. I, I, need, I have a self vested interest in preserving the two of you, so I'm working yeah. hard to make sure your AI is very good, very positive. You know, I was thinking about this in Lakeview. I agree with Ben. It looks like an amazing place to retire. I, I have a few, you know, issues or challenges. One of the things I'd love to do. I love to watch the ocean, the water, um, watch fire, you know, the fascinating, never-ending changes. I'm a little bummed. You like to watch fire. Hold on, back <laughs> up. you like to watch fire. Well, you know, like a fire pit or <laughs> That's in a fireplace. Concerning. Not not like things burning, Dan, Dan. You know, just you know, a fire pit, right? Okay. All right, all you right. Know? All right. But what I like about it is its never ending variety. And I learned, I was very disappointed to learn in Lakeview, the water is a repeating gif. They don't have the you know technology yet to, to really create that full experience that I'm used to. So, you know, there's a lot that I would have to assess before accepting a, a place like Lakeview.
0: Yeah, and the full experience you're used to would be what? Uh, the house burning to the ground as you watch the flames dance beautifully across the, uh, the landscape? Or is that what you're no, talking no, about? No, right, no, no. The fire what? pit
1: at the ocean shore. You know, you're sitting at the beach, you get okay. the ocean during the day. At night, you hear the waves and you watch the fire pit. And Dan, most importantly,
0: you know, you make s'mores. Sure, sure. And if you're going to start a raging fire, put it near the ocean, I say. <laughs> um, so, you know, we gotta we gotta tackle a couple of things here first. And luckily, you know, if we're going to do this, if we're all going to upload ourselves to this digital afterlife, you know, we gotta tackle, we gotta clear a few hurdles. And Ben, I think you're the guy we gotta talk to for a couple of these first ones. And and primarily we got to digitize human consciousness. Uh, You know, this seems to be kind of difficult, to say the very least. Uh, So where do you see, let's just start right there. What do you see are the hurdles, and is this even a possibility?
2: Well, it's definitely, there's a lot of hurdles, that's for sure. The the biggest problem is we still don't really understand how consciousness works. Uh, I think that's the biggest problem. Uh, you it's know, a big it, hurdle. That's a big it, hurdle to get through there, Ben. Yeah, in the show they talk about how uh, how much data it is. Right when we see the guy getting downloaded, they talk about how there's thousands of terabytes. And when you when you calculate, say the the neuron and synapse map of a human, that's not even that, a thousand terabytes. So there's clearly some other stuff going on there. You know, maybe they're also storing all the glial cells, all the, you know, all these other supporting cells in the brain. You know, maybe there have to be very, very precise about the positioning of each uh, neuron, which is probably true. But you still have this question of, okay, you get this perfect map of the brain, but now it has to work like a brain. That That's the mm-hmm. whole other problem. Like the way a brain, brains and neurons work is nothing like the way computers work. And so how we go right. about emu- emulating a brain is a real, real problem. Uh, it's, it's an analog device. It works very differently. And I think that that is the real breakthrough in technology here is, you know, is how you emulate a brain. Because right now we can only emulate the brains of like nematodes, not uh, humans at all. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things I was going to to talk about
0: was how we have completely mapped the brain of a nematode, (laughs) which was done in 2014. Uh, I think we did 302 neurons, uh, and it was digitized into a computer program and then uploaded to a Lego robot, but it functioned, though, Ben. I mean, this Lego robot did function, which is a little odd. Um, and it's going to lead us to um, the 2045 initiative, which I want to talk about. But, but, Dennon, I'm curious about your take on this. What do you think about uploading worm brains to Lego robots? Well, you know, I think it, it's a great example because it points
1: to Ben's initial comment. There's there's really two distinct things here. Are you getting a consciousness, or are you getting all the other functions of the brain? I think many of us, there are some who probably do think a nemotode has some consciousness. But fundamentally, it is a sensory response um, system, right? It receives input, it does something, and it makes an output. That, I have no problem. I mean, it's very clear. It's hard. It takes a lot of processing so on. Not at all shocking that that works when you digitize it and you put it in a computer. You know, it's this element of the sense of who we are. Now, mm-hmm. the, the TV show focuses on memory. So again, to to sort of digitize and put your memories into a computer and create a computer program, an AI or, or something that acts off of those memories as the starting point. Right. I'm also, you know, I think obviously there's some technological issues there. It's unclear exactly which connections in your brain are your memories, but those are smaller hurdles. I think there's this really core, you know, the hard problem of consciousness. What is the I in I think, therefore I am? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, she quotes at the very beginning of the show to get him to believe he's himself. But I think that's both a technology but also a metaphysics question that goes, that the show actually treats in kind of various fun ways at different points.
0: I think that that's true. And and it's a great question. I mean, it's a great fundamental question. Uh, And I think... You know when we're talking about how the brain doesn't function like a computer, that's an inv- that is the crucial distinction here. Um, you know because one of the main parts of this. This TV show is how his memories get deleted and then reinstated. And essentially, they've taken these memories and turned them into video files, you know, mems, <laughs> which I'm sure we're all familiar with. Um, but, you know, this is important because we've talked about how memories, are. it's not a simple playback. It's not your brain going and pulling a book out and opening it up. And it's, you know, it's really about the plasticity of memory where every time you remember something, it changes a little bit. And it also pulls from several different parts of your brain, you know, the, 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 or, the orbital frontal lobe where you get in your, your vision. And that's made of colors, which is somewhere else. And then smells, which is somewhere else. I mean, the experience of a memory is from so many different parts of the brain. I'm curious, Ben, how would, could you somehow, put those together in some amalgamation of a video file for a memory that you could kind of, that would kind of work?
2: It's a really interesting thought. Can a, can we turn memories into video files? And is that even enough? I think one problem though is making those video files. I think we can all imagine that there are a lot more videos files than we remember than what we seem to see in the, the videos that Nora is managing. There's There's a very countable amount of memories there. Uh, And I think one of the big problems will be how do you get how do you compress all of a person's experience and knowledge into only an amount of video files that someone could reasonably comprehend? Uh, That's a big problem. I think if anything, those memories are really just kind of a representation that is created dynamically from the brain map that is what is really stored because otherwise I don't see how they're constantly exporting all this different stuff like that. I think that seems unlikely.
1: Well, you know, Ben, when you talk about the countable number of memories, it really triggers an interesting thing I'd been reflecting on as we were thinking about this show, which is how many memories do I really have? Um, You know, most of the time when I'm just thinking of being myself, I'm actually not actively remembering anything. Uh, And as my kids point out, um, there's very little that I'm actually remembering of what they say and do, um, you know. But if we think about it, there's a lot of memories I can recall. And you know, Dan, you alluded to the fact that we talked about how recalling memories themselves changes them. And you know, some of them I don't even know if they're a real memory or a memory of a picture of me doing something if it's young enough, right? Right. And so, how many memories would it take to make yourself is is a part of this whole consciousness question, right? Like. The I and me, like how many memories to make a functioning computer program that thinks it's a person. And I loved your your comment that maybe, maybe you only sort of dynamically recall a few of them as needed, just like the real human brain is not aware of most of them. And the countable ones on the screen are the ones the 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 person like Nora, who's your your your, your angel and the avatar in the world is aware of at that moment, but all of the others are in some other format and are only converted right.
0: as needed. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's probably that's an interesting way to go about it. I mean it definitely saves computer processing space. Um, but it made me think of when you talk about being converted, one of the things one of the things we got to tackle here, right, is if we want to do any tests on this at all, if we want to digitize the brain and see if it works, we got to figure out how to do it without burning off the person's head, which is what we see in this TV show. you know, when when they digitize a person, their head is completely incinerated, gone, completely gone. Uh, You know, Ben, I'm curious, is this actually possible? Is this more for comic effect or would you need to obliterate the head in order to capture the brain?
2: Unfortunately, I think this may be a very realist, realistic thing that you would have to do uh, to capture a person's uh, full brain map. You know, we talk about this. There's thousands of terabytes of information. Um, when you're talking about that information, that 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 that's a clear implication that they're physically mapping the structure of every neuron, of every synapse, of every glial cell, of you know, the entire structure of the brain, where every neuron physically is. And in order to do that. It, at enough resolution, you're probably going to have to burn off the head um, layer by layer and and physically map uh, what's in there. And what's really impressive is, I think more impressive is how fast it's going. You know, thousands of terabytes, you know, if, if you're at <laughs> yeah. home, you know, that would take you days, weeks, days or weeks, maybe to upload that kind of data to your online storage space uh, through a a normal internet connection, but somehow they're capturing that entire brain scan in seemingly less than a second. So you know there's a very impressive amount of data capture going on uh, in this machine to do that sort of thing. You know, Ben, and it's not
1: just the data capture, it's actually also the scanning speed, just the physically scanning that fast. I think, Dan, that's what a lot of people forget is scanning does actually take time. Um, just the act of scanning itself, even if you're scanning with light, you know, shining the light, you're having to move your laser. Personally, Ben, I think in this case, you're right with current technology. You know, you maybe have to blow off the head, not quite as quickly as they did. But Dan, I think for it to be, you know, a viable technology, you're going to have to wait for that breakthrough where you can scan the brain without doing it. I certainly think you don't tell the loved ones to watch through a window as you're doing this. And that is what I meant by the whimsical nature of this. I know I am not the one who usually refers to exploding heads as whimsical, but there was something about that scene that was very whimsical, particularly the body falling on ice, um, that they had the chair designed
0: that way. The, you know, The whole system, you couldn't do anything but laugh at that. Well, now that I've learned about your pyromania, I, the things that you find whimsical, I, I don't even know who you are anymore, Denon. Um, and we may have to, we may have to <laughs> find out. We have to incinerate your brain to find out. Um, so I, you know, I, I want to lead to this very, you know, a, a, a interesting reference because what I'm going to talk about is something that we mentioned in our very first episode over 100 episodes ago, our very first episode episode of Gadgets and Gizmos on Frankenstein's monster. And that is the 2045 initiative, which I'm going to put up a link again, fresh link for those of you who don't want to go back 100 episodes. But this is a, kind of an interesting um Foundation, and it was founded by a Russian entrepreneur named Dmitry Itzkov in 2011. And what they want to do is create hologram-like avatars with your digital consciousness by the year 2045, and they've got four phases set up, and I don't think they've hit their benchmark because 2015 to 2020 is um, a robotic copy of a human body remotely controlled by a brain-computer interface. I don't know that we have that, so they may have missed that first mark, but what they want to do by 2025 is to have a robotic avatar that you can then transplant your brain into, you know, a la every science fiction horror movie we've ever seen, Um, uh, and then you know, by twenty thirty five, to have an artificial brain uploaded with a digital consciousness—that's where they want to go by twenty thirty five. Um, you know, but ultimately the goal is immortality. It's some of the similar stuff, the, the similar questions we're dealing with in this show. But I wanted to talk about a real life initiative that that's kind of working towards this goal. But the other part of this equation: once we have a digitized brain, what do we want to do next? Well, we got to live in a digital world, right? Now there are tons of MMOs or massively multiplayer online video games out there where people do this, complete with VR headsets. You know, I was looking at—I'm going to put up a link to some of the the more popular and cutting edge ones in 2021, where when we're recording the show. Uh, But they seem very boxy, very cubic. They're not realistic like Lakeview. Um, But as we've all seen, Ben, I know you're a video gamer. You know, we've seen—I grew up on the Nintendo Entertainment System. That was pretty cuby. I've played. Atari games grew up on that as well. Those were very, very cubey, very pixelated. And now we've got incredibly realistic games. So I would imagine that this part probably seems like the easiest. We just got to wait, right?
2: Yeah. Well, I think photo real video games to some degree are here. The the trick is not so much the photo real part, but how you render it quick enough. You know, we, we've talked about graphics cards a lot this year where, you know, graphics cards are a hot commodity because they're being used for uh, crypto mining rather than, right, yes. you know, gamers uh, <laughs> like us uh, who want to just play some cool video games. Right, and exactly. so, you know, there's a lot of systems out there that can make photo real things. And the trick is how do you render it quickly? How do you, and especially how do you get it to, A monitor quickly, or or for VR, how you have to make two copies because it has to be 3D, one for each eye. So, but one one possibility here is, you know, if you're talking about having consciousnesses, brains in simulation, you know, you don't need to do that rendering. You just kind of give them the raw feed, kind of like the Matrix. And your brain probably does the rendering, your brain simulation is going to be doing the rendering for you. So I think in some ways, this system's kind of easier because you just give the brain, the brain model the data feed and you don't have to worry about how do you make it look photoreal. The brain will make it photoreal because you tell the brain, oh, there's a beautiful, there's a beautiful lake here, there's all these trees, and the brain knows what those look like and does the right photoreal thing. And,
1: you know, I think that's very, very important, Ben. Our brain does that a lot already. I mean, we know about optical illusions. We know about the ability to fill in things, like how you can look at a, an image and fill in what's missing. You can look at words and fill in what's missing. And and this goes to your earlier point, Ben, is how much of our our processing ability where we fill in the gaps is due to the brain's architecture, right? And would that architecture be in the hardware of the computer? You know, I really – I think there's three key parts about the brain that this um, TV show really is fascinating to me. Memories, I think, make so much sense to upload because memories are basically static. I mean, yes, we talk about the plasticity and they change. But I can store a memory in the brain or I can store a memory in the computer. We already store memories in computers. It's just a space issue. But this, this sort of filling in the gaps, our sensory perception and how it works, right? Is that something we could get a computer to do? I don't know. You know, it's an interesting question. And then, Dan and Ben, as you've both alluded to, the actual seed of consciousness, the thing that is the eye, how much does that depend on the brain's architecture? How much is it something completely different? I mean, philosophers are still very split, on the fundamental nature of consciousness. Is it physical or is it unphysical, right? Or non-physical. And and that's, you know, if it's non-physical, it may be a problem for something like Lakeview. If it's physical and depends very clearly on the brain architecture, it could still be a problem if they can't architect
0: computers to be like the brain. Well, I think one of the problems that you're going to have with this with this approach is that. You know, Basically, what you're saying is you give the brain enough information, it will kind of fill in the gaps. You don't need to do all the specifics. But then everyone who's living in Lakeview is going to have a very different perception of what's going on around them. So that shared experience, you know, I'm looking at the the lake behind you, Ben. You know, obviously you're on the tour there. Um, How you see that lake and how I see that lake are going to be very different. We'll both see bodies of water, but they're going to be a little bit different. Maybe that won't matter. Maybe it will. Um, but it's something to think about. You, you know, Dan, it's, but
1: we already have that argument with consciousness. Like, I do not know that you actually experience even your apartment the same way I do when I'm there. And that's an interesting thing. <laughs> no one experiences it the same way. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> right. We're not inside each other's heads. We're getting technically the same basic information, but all of our sensory systems filter differently, have different resolution, different quality, respond slightly differently to different input, and then our brain is filling in and creating the picture. So you're exactly right. It's, it's the question of degree. Like, is it, is it as different as it is in real life? Then we won't notice. Is it more different? Like, it, are they so badly doing it that you see a small pond and I see a big lake? That might be a problem because we start swimming at different times. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Uh, you know so it's it's all about scale and difference i think
2: well and we also see there's an explicit uh view changer like when uh when nathan first gets to lakeview there's a little kind of thermostat thing on the wall that lets him choose if the view is fall spring summer or winter and there there's it doesn't seem like there's any enforcement that his neighbors are doing the same thing so clearly there's all sorts of options for giving people a non-shared experience, you know, I assume they're probably kind of different layers. And if you want to go to the ice skating rink version of Lakeview, where the, the lake is frozen and you're skating there, uh, you're probably just in a different instance of that, um, that outdoor area than the people who are there in the summer and swimming in the swimming hole. Uh, you know, it's just going to be instanced off so that people can experience what they want to experience while they're in these locations.
0: I got to tell you that is a oh, well. That is the first. Hold on. Then I got to say something very important here because that is the first time I've heard the word instance used. When I learned it, it was when I would play World of Warcraft, which is an MMO. I wasn't in the world, um, but you know, it was a when you would go and do like a specific dungeon. It was called an instance, and you and your friends would be the only people in that dungeon. And I'm assuming that that's kind of what you're talking about here. Um, you know, on a on that's a exactly Mac what I'm level. talking about. Okay, all right, Dennis. Go on. I had to say that for I had to nerd out for a second there, Dennett.
1: Dan, no, I know I'm glad you said it because it actually reinforces my point. It was a brilliant move. Um, <laughs> because what you both reminded me of is the fact that in the first episode, we find out that there's millions of people in the same scene, you just can't see them all because they're at different levels right. of it, right? And occasionally, you get the artifacts. Um, crossing the levels where you see a brief, brief flicker. So I spent the rest of the show, I think I occasionally saw some of the artifacts, you know, of birds going in and out um, that I think the, the TV developers put in there for crazy nerds like me who are looking for the errors in the background. Interesting. I
0: could have also just imagined the bird going in and out, Dan. Or they didn't have enough money to quite finish that those CGI renderings in the, the post team. Um, but maybe they were Easter eggs. I mean, that sounds that sounds great. Um, you know, and I think one of the things we, we got to talk about, because I, I think that... If we can jump over the hurdle of digitizing our brains, I think getting into the digital afterlife is probably the shorter hurdle. I think we can probably do that. But, you know, I think we have to ask ourselves a lot of questions here. A lot of questions came up then, and obviously you're talking about consciousness. One of the things that, that I thought is that part of the biological experience, part of how we are designed is to get older right? You know, we have this, you know, in this show, we've got a, there's a there's a kid who I think must be like eight or nine. I um, mean, he's permanently a kid. He's been in there for like 10 years or something, and, and he's still an eight-year-old, right? Um, wouldn't the, you want to have some development, you want to have some, you know, brain development where uh, you mature, you, you, you move. We all change as we get older, right? Not only that, not only do we change and become different people, but our biology our our brains are just our the way the brain works the, the the very nature of being human is that we know we're going to die someday and i don't know how we would be able to handle you know living forever or you know essentially forever until humanity dies and the servers are destroyed i don't know how we handle that you know lots of vampire stories tackle this as well what does eternity look like Um, So, you know, I'm curious what you guys think about that, Denon, uh, and I know you love vampires, a big Twilight fan. What do you think about um, this idea of having to live forever and its effect on our psyche, our brain and our, our emotional situation?
1: I think that's a great question. I do want to clarify, of course, Dan, that I do love vampires. And that's why I don't like Twilight because those are fake vampires. I could have saved that for errors and additions. But, you know, we'll just get that right out right from the beginning. But if I go back to your question, I think the kid in this is the great example. We've not only talked about our biology, Dan, but we've also talked about gut bacteria and how it can affect both the performance of the brain and back and forth. Right. So there is a clear, strong interaction between who you are and your body as you age. And I think the, what I like about this show is I felt it did some interesting things with the kid. I haven't seen all the episodes yet, but um, I love the fact that he really has been living. He knows he's 18 at one level, but at the other level, a lot of what he does is still trapped and controlled by his body that is pre-puberty. And it really showed how important, like that's a massive change for us, right? Like going from 10 to 20 is probably the biggest change we have. Right. Yeah. Um, obviously, there's a lot of changes when you're older too. Um, but I joke, you know, I still think of myself and I picture my head is probably about thirty-ish, mm-hmm. and then I look in a mirror, I'm like, oh wait, I was wrong. Um, so <laughs> it, it's less of an influence on you know my self-image, say, or how I act. So I I think that's a fascinating thing about this world, like how much can you change, and how long can that remain interesting.
0: I mean, remain interesting. I I mean, who knows about that? Um, But, uh, you know, let me ask you, Ben, because you're part robot. um, Do you think you could (laughs) remain interesting into eternity um, with with the the robotic brain that you have?
2: Uh, Perhaps. Uh, Well, going back first a little bit to what Zen talked about, like we even see with... with uh nathan how just having his hair off uh really affects him so clearly you know even the tiniest things you know not being able to get your hair to look right uh could seriously affect your psyche um but i think that the living in perpetuity is is a big question like what is that like um and I think that kind of goes to what we see with Nathan, uh, you know, he, he in, a, in a fit of kind of emergency and passion, he wants to leave Lakeview and try to go somewhere else. But I can imagine that, uh, you know, after a while, you'd probably get bored of Lakeview and you'd want to try one of their other properties. Like, you know, maybe they have the Tahitian, you know, villas over the ocean there too. Or maybe there's a version where you get to live, you know, in New York City and go out to you know, go out to Broadway every night. You know, there's, there's a lot of opportunities here to try different simulations. And I think part of what would make a system like this good is getting that variety and being able to try out different areas um, as you continue to live forever.
0: Yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, I think that's the spice of life, right? Variety is the spice of life, and I think even, especially if you're going to live forever, I, I, I guess my question is whether you program that level of humanity, if it's even possible to program that into a digitized version of yourself. But one of the things I want to mention here um, is that if you know, one of the 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 things I found in real life is that Microsoft um, patented a chat bot that can mimic the personality of a deceased loved one, celebrity, or fictional character. So we're working on this. We're working on creating these bots that are able to mimic real life people, real life conversations that, you know, a lot of people are, you know, there's people falling in love with sex, falling in love with sex robots and they, or they can't stop chatting to a chat bot that's, you know, designed on their deceased friend. I mean, so we're, we're you know, we're kind of, um, we're getting people adapted to, to these digital interactions, uh, ways to do that. But I wonder how these digital interactions will affect the living humans, right? Because there's one thing that's, that's interesting, an interesting section in this show, is really the future of human-on-human interactions. Uh, You know, I'm going to start off with my favorite scene in this show, which is where Nora, the main human living character, um, is having, you know, sexual relations with another living human male. Uh, They they come into a room. I don't know why I described it like that. I described it like... (laughs) a robot. <laughs> and this show's getting to me. It's already leaking into my brain. I'm already sounding like a chatbot, but I swear I'm human. Um, but uh, anyway, what if they say, hey, did you bring protection, right? And obviously the joke is, do they have, you know, prophylactic? But what they have is a little security camera that they put on themselves, and then they have to state a legal statement um, giving consent for the sexual experience that's about to uh, unfold in front of them. I-, I think this is really the future here, guys. I didn't explain that very very well at all, um, but that's part of my programming. I can't help that. But I love this idea that even in the future, all these strange versions of technology, all the social things that are happening, we create technology to solve our social ills and then those become incorporated and then they create, you know, problems of themselves. I discussed this on my episode, uh, Fascinating Nouns episode with Jenny Kleeman, uh, where we talk about how robots are really affecting human psyche. But I'm curious what you guys think about this, where we have these technologies for these social things, but then they completely change how we interact. Obviously, social media is the first one on the top of the list there. Uh, What do you think, Dennett? What do you think about this um, as someone who has seen a lot of technology come and go and has probably been affected by way more technology in their life than I have?
1: Yeah, you know, I really think the that you're getting to a heart of one of the challenges we have as humans between the scale of natural evolution and the scale of technological evolution at this moment in time. Uh, I think, you know, your example is great. My other favorite example in the show is where um, Nathan just sits there giving Nora five stars over and over and over. And she goes, isn't that got to be against the rules? And there was nothing built into it. But how... Every aspect of their life was was based on these five-star ratings. Um, and we're seeing that happen. Like my phone is constantly asking me to rate things. And one of the things I find most frustrating is you know, I get food delivered and I'm supposed to rate the quality of the delivery on a scale of one to five stars. Right. I'm like, I either get the food or I don't. What's the spectrum? Anything wrong right? yeah. with the delivery <laughs> is pretty much the restaurant, not the person. I mean, yeah. I guess they could throw it at my house and spill it all over the place. That would be, you know, a zero or a one, or they safely deliver it and I eat it. That's a five. Like, I don't know what makes it a three. And so that that rating system fundamentally, again, changes the nature of human interaction because there isn't really the nuanced discussion of back and forth of how we're feeling about each other and how we're impacting each other. Um, And I think it's leading to some of these extreme reactions. Um, I don't know, Ben, are you getting rated all the time in life um, or are you feeling okay for now?
2: I mean, so far, I don't think I've uh, been rated in that way, but uh, I don't know. It's really interesting because it, it seems like this future is way more kind of casual and way more transactional. You know, people, you know, we still see these great friendships uh, kind of between Nora and her coworkers. Well, with her coworkers, not her boss. Like the boss is very antagonistic. Definitely not her boss, but, yeah. Uh, but it's this interesting situation where I think you know we kind of see this going on even today, where you know social media and all this stuff it's creating a system that's very transactional and very bubbly, where we only really interact with uh, people we want to interact with and who we're, we agree with and. There's a problem where we were splitting ourselves up and we're only doing things that are necessary. And we're not kind of forging the same connections that maybe we used to because we have so much more exposure to so many different people Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, back in the day where. You kind of talk to everybody in your town because that's all you could talk to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, that that is true. Uh, That's the kind of town I grew up in. I was definitely friends with people uh, I wouldn't have chosen necessarily to be friends with if this if the talent pool, let's say, wasn't so shallow. Uh, But the same could be said for me. I'm sure there want to be more friends with me because no one else is in the neighborhood. But Denny, I want to go back to something that you said really quickly. Where you know where you said, you know, if they threw it at your house, threw the food at your house, that's a a one. And if they delivered it safely, that's a five. Now, this is a difference between you and I, which is also, you know, a, a problem with the system. If they deliver the food safely... To me, that's a three. That's right in the middle. Right. There's no nothing good about it. Nothing bad about it. Now, if they came and delivered it and gave you extra food or, you know, knocked your door or fought <laughs> off, you know, a, an, a stray dog who is trying to eat it. That's a five. Right. That's above and beyond. Um, but, you know, when I safely deliver, that's a three to me. You know, uh, and I think it's this this, um, you know, it's not objective is what I'm trying to say. Uh, And I think that that's important when you look at this stuff. But one of the other things, you know, we're talking about rating systems. Um, One of the things that I thought was really interesting about this show, I just want to really quickly touch on it, because I loved the way uh, that they kind of approached it. You mentioned it earlier, Denon, but we still have the haves and the have-nots, right? When you have more resources, if you're rich and you have more resources, you're going to get bonuses here. And in this, as you mentioned, you know, if you have real food, uh, you've got the resources, you're a have. If you have printed food, you're a have-not. You know, if you live in Lakeview, uh, like Ben is looking around and checking it out, um, that's a have. If you live in Lakeview and you live on the 2 gate floor, you're a have-not. So we still find ways, despite we're trying to make things equal, we still find ways for individuals to game the system and gain an advantage uh, very quickly. Ben, I'm going to ask you, what do you think about that?
2: It's an interesting question, Dan. You know, the haves and the have-nots, equality, it, it's tough in this world. You know, we there's a lot of forces that uh, move against uh, having uh, equity in life outcomes for everybody in this world, and when we look at this uh, future world, which isn't actually all that far in the future—it's it's only twenty thirty three—it's only twelve years from uh, today right. when we're recording. Right. Uh, there's even more corporate consolidation. You know, we see these crazy mergers uh, throughout the show, of like, uh, you know, Taco Bell and a gas company have merged, and all these different things, and so you have this. Problem of now the oligarchs and the rich are even richer. They're even more consolidated. And if if that pattern has continued for twelve more years from where we are today, I, you know, I don't know how uh, the average person has wrested any sort of uh, attention from Congress from away from all these uh, multi-billion-dollar corporations.
1: You know, and I think in that Ben, though, this is Dan the one hope right, is in these virtual worlds. Um, the, 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 the natural greed can create a false dichotomy there. But the reality is at some level, and I think we've seen this a little bit in cellular service, once you've built enough hardware, um, and one of the few things in life that keeps getting cheaper is memory. Um, you know, that is still getting exponentially cheaper. So in principle, the Nothing actually costs any money in this virtual world, right? So it's an imposed difference, right? right? The real food versus the printed food, that's a real difference, right? I can see there being a differential cost that's actually real. But at the end of the day, in the virtual world afterwards, um, there is some limited supply of memory. um, And you could imagine a, a slight gap or difference but not at the level that they're portraying. I I feel that that's really a mirror and imposition from the real world. Um, So these virtual worlds probably have some hope of
0: equalization, perhaps. Well, that's definitely one of the themes is to create a digital world that everyone can access and live in. Um, you know that is one of the subplots uh, but I think it's interesting the things that people purchase and ex- and want to experience you know like uh, someone wants to get sick on purpose so they spend a, you know two dollars per sneeze in order to remember what it's like to be sick because being sick doesn't exist when you're a computer program although we have talked about computer viruses in the past uh, but this is not the same thing but just be wanting to have to you be, experience something of being human that at least implies that there are levels of humanity that you can't replicate with a computer system, no matter how hard they try, no matter how much of their head they burn off or how precise they are with their programming, you can't quite replicate that human experience. And that is the summation, I think, of this show, Uh, not only of our show, but of that show in general.
2: I got to ask a scary question there, Dan. What happens if you get uploaded while you have a cold? Is your brain in perpetual, I have a cold state? And are (laughs) are you uploaded with a cold? (laughs) Like, I hope they have filters for that, right?
0: (laughs) I mean, that's awful. It's a great question because what is the state of death? Because you're frozen in that state, right? And typically you're in a hospital. You could be sick. Um, That's a good question. I don't know. Um, What do you think, Denon? You know, I I think clearly they uh, side skirt that a
1: little because, you know, Nathan does not wake up with major internal injuries and feeling like he's bleeding to death all the time. So I I do think they edit out your final state somehow. Um, (laughs) There clearly is a final state filter um, because they they do claim that they can only upload you if you're still alive. And as you both pointed out, if you're if you're sort of close enough to death that you're willing to be uploaded, you're probably not feeling great. <laughs> yeah,
0: I, w- I would imagine that's... I would imagine that's the case. It's an interesting question, though, for sure. Um, but if you have any other interesting questions, this is the place we can do them. This is our errors, additions, and omissions section. These are things we didn't talk about, uh, we didn't quite get to, but we wanted to quickly mention. Denon, is there anything from Upload that you wanted to talk about?
1: Well, you know, at, at the risk of continuing my um, analogy and love of fire and flame, You know, we talked a lot about consciousness and what was going on here. A very, very hard topic, obviously. But an interesting image I once learned about consciousness is it's like the flame on a candle and you can pass that flame to another candle. Is it the same flame or a different flame? You could even, in principle, pass it to two candles and then blow out the original candle and which candle flame is still you. And I think this show does an interesting job of answering or or raising some of those metaphysical questions. You could imagine a world in which one flame is the consciousness that goes into the digital world and the other flame is the consciousness and soul that goes into the regular afterlife. Do I call it that? I don't know um, if such a thing exists. So a lot of interesting flame analogies. I will close with where I opened. Fire is an amazing thing.
0: Uh, It's terrifying, Denon. I have seen a new side of you that um, both uh, intrigues me and frightens me. Uh, And and I love the continued metaphor about flames. Um, Hopefully that hasn't killed the flame of curiosity in you, Ben. Is there anything from this show that you wanted to talk about that we didn't quite get to?
2: Yeah, well, the one thing that kind of surprised me about Lakeview is it seems like everybody's content to stay there. You know, I I do wonder why isn't there like a vacation, a constant vacation world there? Like these seem to be very wealthy people who are used to traveling. I'm kind of surprised that they're all content to Stay in Lakeview forever, especially when they're in, they all seem to have been scanned in very good shape and they get to, uh, you know, eat whatever they want and be healthy. Um, why aren't they, you know, going off to Hawaii for a couple of days all the time? I, I do wonder about that. <laughs> I mean, I think, that, I think that that's a great question for sure. I imagine there have to be some
0: little things here. I mean, you're able to, in this world, you can customize quite a few things. There are a lot of very interesting customizations. You can buy a lot of different things. It offers quite a bit. Uh, but that travel—that is a question. That is an itch that I'm sure must get scratched. I uh, hear a couple of things that I liked. You—you know, you mentioned the the corporate conglomerates, Ben. Um, it's actually Nokia and Taco Bell as they push their gordita crunch. Uh, Norris tries to sell that a bunch. There's Oscar Mayer, Intel. Um, who creates 3D printed food? There's AT and TT, which is uh, I don't know what the extra T is, and then there's Google, Samsung, and what I like about this, we you know we talked about printed food on several other episodes, um, but I liked that they talk about the uh, ex- having exclusive recipes for those 3D printers. That's really fun. And the last one, the self-driving car. You know, this series starts out with Nathan essentially being injured. Um, uh, you know, whether he's to the point of death is is something to be to be considered later on. But he's injured by a, a one of his self-driving cars that crashes into the back of a, what I believe is a garbage truck. On that garbage truck, there are flashing lights. I want to put um, a, an article up on the website that you guys should check out, which is how Tesla, their autopilot program, had problems with flashing lights, with flares, emergency vehicles, strobes, and it would rear-end the car in front of them, just like in this TV show. Uh, which is, which I thought was very, very interesting, very prescient. Um, but we've got a question from our audience. We've got to get to another one. Now, this one is about the fu- our future of technology episode. Now, this comes from a user whose name is Zach with an X. Uh, here it is. After listening to your future of technology episode, Uh, When you guys uh, when do you guys think we will have the ability to store a brainless clone of ourselves to be harvested for spare parts or in extreme circumstances to be used for a brain transplant should our current bodies become unusable? Uh, Thank you in advance. uh, Asking for a friend. Now I'm going to go to you first, Denon, on this because of your pyromania. I feel like you—you—we got—we—we've turned you in a sinister mode here. I'm curious: Would you do this? Would you keep a brainless uh, clone for spare parts, and you know, for for to use however you wish?
1: You know, I really don't think that is the way we would most likely go. I think that's a very inefficient use of clone technology. To be honest, I think what we're going to get is is a much better, faster. Um, Instant cloning of individual organs. So if you need an organ transplant, you're going to clone that organ. I did notice in the question, um, I was a little concerned, Dan, that they wanted to have a brainless clone that they then used for a brain transplant. Um, that, that did confuse me a bit.
0: <laughs> Um, well, but well I'm it, guessing it, it, it's probably so in case you, you know your body gets mangled in a car crash you can transplant your brain into this brainless clone also you, also oh, you don't want to have direction. the brain to have sentience and just sitting there in like you know floating in water like in those sci-fi movies right you exactly know?
1: no no, cl- clearly if you're going to go this route it would be a brainless clone but I really do just think the fast cloning of individual um, organs is going to be much more likely um, a result and I feel like we're getting shockingly close to that, so it's actually a pretty early early date that we would put on that.
0: Uh, fair enough. What about you, Ben? Would you have uh, Would you have something like this? I feel like you. I feel like you might already.
2: Yeah. Well, I I've, I feel like I've seen some stories about like 3D printed organs and things like that that have been very recent. So mm-hmm. I think I think I'm I'm on board here with Denon. Where we're I think we're going to start. We're not very far away from having uh, replacement organs that uh, that will be transplantable that aren't coming from other people who died in motorcycle accidents or pigs or whatever. Uh, but I think the real trick will be that, that brainless thing. And I really do wonder, could a clone grow without the brain? Like the brain is a fundamental part of your body. And I do wonder, you know, could, could a body really grow without uh, being a human? You know, we already know that your bone structure kind of doesn't work unless you're walking around, right? Your bones don't really grow unless you're putting weight on them, unless you're you know, constantly putting these microfractures into them to trigger that growth and that development. And I imagine there's similar things with all those organs. Like if you're not eating and drinking things that would cause your liver to have to filter things, if you're not doing all this other stuff to make your kidneys work, to make your heart work. So I think the idea of that brainless clone is really tricky because I think, A a body has to be a body to kind of work as a body. I mean, a body does have to be a body to work as a body. I think that that's
0: brilliant. We're going to throw that on a couple of t-shirts and, and fun future research, <laughs> future cloning research. Uh, but if you have questions, if you want to get in touch with us, if you've got ideas for a show, you know, you can find us on social media. You know, we're on Twitter at f triple We're on Facebook at FGGBT. And now we have an email address. Cutting-edge technology. That's what we're known for. You guys ever heard of email? Well, we got one. Questions at f if you've got questions comments general correspondence if you have a show idea that you want us to look into um send it to us and it's possible that no matter how you get in touch with us that if we that if it's good enough if it's smart enough and people like it we are going to put it on a future episode and you know in saying that maybe you just want to get in touch with us individually well, what's the best way to do that well, we're easy to get a hold of denon where can people find you Well, people can
1: find me on Twitter and Instagram. Just flip my name. It's at Denon Michael. And then find me on Facebook. You need a prof. It's at Prof Denon Michael.
2: Ben, where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B.Siepser. Well, how do you spell that? You spell that B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be
0: found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at J Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you're listening to us on your favorite
1: podcast platform, make sure you're subscribed and definitely rate and review.
2: And if you're watching us on YouTube, if you enjoyed this video, hit that like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. And finally, this show contains powerful scientific information that
0: could be misused by those hell-bent on world domination. You want to be careful with it. Remember, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear Based Technologies Introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version. Depending on what you like, we got it for you. And if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on YouTube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to DanielJGlenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.